Hello everyone. Whew, what a week last week. I hope everyone here in the States has been able to exhale a little bit. I know I have, which is good because I would much rather be focusing on this podcast than politics, but I digress. This week's episode is a little bit different. We get into some of the major trends happening in the world right now and how you can build a stronger product marketing team, even if you're not physically present with the people you work with. My guest, Susan Spark Park, is awesome. She is really, really great. Uh, Just full of super honest insights, um, which I really appreciate. So stay tuned. It's an awesome one. Shout out to all you listeners. I heard from so many people this week. I heard from Carl, who really, really loved the Stripe episode. I agree, Carl is a good one. I heard from Shelly, who's telling everybody in Tel Aviv, Israel, to listen to the product marketing experts. Awesome, Shelly, thank you. Uh, I heard from a lot of other people. It's great, it gives me a ton of energy. Please keep connecting with me on LinkedIn and uh, let's all help each other out. Shout out to our sponsor, Crayon. If you aren't familiar with it, Crayon is an awesome tool for PMMs. Crayon analyzes market trends for you and makes acting on insights easy. This means dynamically updated sales battle cards, alerts, dashboards, much more. Crayon is a great tool for marketers looking to maintain differentiated messaging, uh, improve sales win rates, catch important updates from competitors, and much more. You can find them at crayon.co. This podcast is a partnership with Sharebird. Sharebird.com is a peer mentoring platform. It's the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with your product marketing career. There are great resources and also a job board, really great job board. So definitely check it out. And if you have any feedback on this podcast in general, specific episodes, things you like, things you want to hear, anything at all, please email podcast at sharebird.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a DM. We really, really like to hear from you. All right, let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Marketing Experts brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Marcus Andrews, and today we're diving deep into global and remote product marketing. I think to be a good product marketer, you always need to be paying attention to the trends in the world and human behavior. If you can catch trends and changes and tell great stories around them before your competition, you will win. We are supposed to be the voice of the market. So having an ear to the ground and a point of view on trends is a huge value add to your business and just a good way for you to build your brand. For a while now, the world has been becoming more and more of a global economy. And unless you have literally been living in a fallout bunker well below the Earth's surface, isolated from humankind, you're aware that we're in the middle of a global pandemic where everyone who can is working from home, most likely. What have these changes meant specifically for product marketing? How, what is the impact of these two big trends on product marketing? How should we think about them? How can you develop your point of view? Some basic stuff, launches are harder. Building cross-functional relationships is more challenging. Trying to learn the market in a place where you don't speak the language is pretty tricky. But we need to figure this stuff out. We need to have a point of view. So to help us, we got a product marketing expert. Susan Park, who goes by Spark, is the head of gaming ads product marketing at Facebook, where she leads a team dedicated to commercializing Facebook's gaming marketing solutions. She has direct reports in Singapore, Ireland, UK, the US, and she's been in a global product marketing role for almost a decade now. And for only one year of that time has she actually physically sat with her team. So she's got quite the perspective here. Excited to dig in with this one. Spark, how are you? Great. What an intro. It's lovely to hear. I think some of these trends are very top of mind for a lot of people. And if they're not, hopefully this will be something to help them think more about this as we move through this podcast. 
Yeah. And, you know, I realize that today, maybe not everyone is 100, like it's likely they are, but maybe you're not 100%, you know, impacted by remote work or the globalization of the, you know, the world's economy, but sooner or later you will be. So I think trying to figure this stuff out and build your own point of view on it, understand how it's impacting you, maybe what to expect before it happens should really help people. Agreed. All right. So before we get into all of that, I would just love to know how you got into product marketing. What was your career path like into um, product marketing? Thank you. So like most people, I didn't know that product marketing existed for a very long time, but I actually started off in tech at an entry-level job at Google. I know you spent some time at Google too, and it's a great place to work and learn technology. And then I realized I was in a sales position at Google. I realized that I preferred to give feedback to the product and teach others how to sell the product better versus selling the product myself. Mm -hmm. So then I pivoted into more of a product marketing like or sales enablement role. And I left Google as the global product lead of remarketing or retargeting, helping them build out their dynamic ads product. Then I took a shot working for a product team at a pre-IPO company called Spotify that actually ended up working out pretty well. And even there, I had the chance to move into product management. But I decided actually, no, I want to work in product marketing. And I became the first ads or monetization product marketing person at Spotify. I basically launched all of their mobile advertising products. Most of them are still around on the platform today on their free tier. And then Facebook came knocking and I figured why not get my PhD in ad technology. So I've been at uh, Facebook for the past almost four years and I'm leading a global team there focused on gaming marketing solutions, as you said in that intro, which is a really great fun mix of, you know, my past experience in, you know, digital direct response marketing from my time at Google and a lot of brand building and app marketing from my time at Spotify. So I'm at a really nice place now and I feel very lucky to have found this great career path in product marketing so early. Awesome. And have you been, I know this isn't in our list of questions, but have you, where have you lived? Have you lived in lots of different spots and as part of like a global role? I've lived in eight cities in my lifetime. Most of them have been in the United States. I was born in Indiana, but my parents- Hey, me too. Where are you from? No way, really? Yeah. I was born in in Indianapolis, but we spent my time in Indiana, a suburb called Greenfield, like right outside of Indianapolis. Cool. (laughs) I'm from Elkhart. Oh, nice. Most of my cousins went to either Purdue or IU, but I went to high school in Seoul at an American high school on a military base. So Ah. I have- this kind of weird upbringing and most people think I'm from California. So generally I just say that, but because I did spend some time <laughs> no, you're in California. A, you're a Hoosier. <laughs> I claim you for the great state of Indiana. Sounds great. My family will be <laughs> so happy, but yeah, I've lived in eight different cities. Most of them are in the U S but I currently live in London and me and my partner have been there for about, we, we met in London, but we've, We've both actually been there about five or six years, and now I have dual citizenship, uh, UK citizenship and US citizenship. So uh, yeah, I've been all across the board, and it's been a really, really fun life. So you know, you could start off in the middle of America and end up you know, working in these global roles. So as, totally. as you're a testament of yourself. It's very true. Yes, I've lived in just the States, but I mean, yeah, grew up in the Midwest and then went East Coast, West Coast, now back to East Coast. So, all right. So how has, especially just COVID and the pandemic, you know, has that changed your go-to-market a lot? You know, even like 
what kind of changes are you seeing in product marketing right now? What is it meant for you and how you operate? So my team has been global and we've been very remote for a while. And Facebook is a very large company. And even, you know, in some instances, we were taking VCs or video conferences from the same campus with each other. So I think a lot of what COVID has done is reinforce the good practices that we tried to put in place prior to this, which is really building teams and cross-functional teams that really trust each other um, and have psychological safety or safety with each other and really trust each other on how they work. And then are also very focused on a core goal or vision. So I think we've seen even more and more with COVID and remote work that these two things are even more important than they were before. Because before we could get together for dinner, you know, every three months, we could all jump on planes and see each other and create some of that camaraderie, but we can't do that. So it's, it's been even more important that we try to create that safety for each other here where we don't have coworkers down the hall to check an email for us and that sort of thing. So I think it's just really reinforced the good practices that we have put into place of making sure that it was a strong vision or goal that we're working towards. And then two, that there was a lot of safety in order for us to execute on it. And the best way I like to kind of describe this in an analogy perspective, because a lot of people hear like psychological safety and they're like, oh, that's like HR mumbo jumbo, Mm. things like that. But I think it's a real like physical manifestation from that kind of thing. So just imagine you're on a really high, like high dive. You're on a high dive and, you know, it's really high up in the air. Maybe it's a 10 foot high, high dive, depending if you, or even higher if you don't like heights and you look over the edge and you realize there's no water in that pool, Mm -hmm. right? It's very unsafe. Think about how you physically respond. You don't even want to get anywhere close to that edge because there's no water to catch you you know it's too dangerous. You want to just stay as far away from the edge as possible and you don't want to take any risks because you are physically afraid. You're clenched up. You don't want to do anything. But now then imagine like your teammates came in and filled up that pool with water. So this beautiful, nice water that you know that if you jump off of it, it'll, it'll protect you. You'll land. You know, The goal of the safety isn't to make you feel comfortable into inaction. And on all of our teams, like we, that's why we set really audacious goals and we set these high dives really high. But we want to make sure that that pool of water is really deep and so that you can feel like everybody from the team can jump together and I'll catch you. And that's kind of what I'm talking about with like the safety attached with the vision is that you want to be like running off of that high dive and you want to be running towards those risks because you'll know that that stuff will be happening and, and that pool will catch you. And that's what you kind of try want to have, want to set up in a remote team. And that's what I've always been thriving to set up in every team that I've worked on from Google to Spotify mm-hmm. to Facebook, because if you don't set up that, even from a peer perspective, no one's going to be taking those risks or those jumps. They're going to be too scared to do so. And I've worked for bosses where that has happened to me. And I think working remotely, especially where there's actually like real physical danger for people leaving their house, that there's so much mental stuff going on. So if you can create that in your work environment, you'll just help people create their best work and allow them to take some jumps in a place where it's not, you know, that dangerous to do so. So that's kind of where... I think a lot of this stuff will come together and that's really where I want people to think about building for themselves and each other throughout this process. Yeah. I I love how you're thinking about it as a 
leader of a team, it's your responsibility to create that environment and you can set goals around it and you can, and you can be intentional about it, I guess, you know, it's like, it's not like a thing that just happens, right? You can figure out ways to do it. All right. So you've been doing remote for a long time. I imagine that's because you like it and you're a proponent of it. The world has been kind of slow to come around to it though, before 2020, right? When we all kind of had to do it. Do you think in the larger landscape of the world, the businesses are things are changing. People have a new different point of view on remote now. I think so. And I think we should all take a lesson to most likely we'll need to travel less as things move forward. So I think one trend from COVID that I've learned, because I was probably as guilty as anyone of thinking that I would needed to go in person to build the influential relationships. Right. But what I found is that with COVID, obviously that's impossible. What it really is, is the nature of time is getting time on people's calendar, you know, getting that time to create that safety and rapport with each other, which is tough to do in these times periods. But what I would say is I think we've all learned that it's not really about necessarily about the travel and the face-to-face, but it's about how we spend time to, with each other. Time zone makes that really hard. I think that's what travel made up for, but there are ways around it. And I think it's really important for companies to embrace that because I think as we talked a little bit about this is that remote working will still be a thing, but the time zones and the, the struggle that we'll have to meet people and have that exposure for people in time zones will continue to be an issue. So leaders will need to think about how they can meet their teams where they are in the time zones that they exist in so that they can see their best work without having to get on a plane and create that kind of rapport and safety with them. And I think that is going to be one of the critical learnings to make sure that remote is here to stay, is that not only leaders, but teams recognize that the time zone barriers are going to have to somehow be embraced. And we need to think a little bit differently about the nine to five and working hours in a way that's healthy and that creates better mental barriers for people to live their lives. But we can't keep asking everybody in APAC to take midnight calls all the time either. So that's, that would probably be my only other tip there is that we should embrace remote work because it's more about spending time with each other and creating rapport and context and that safety. But how do we do that without just forcing everybody or one time zone to always suffer? Right. And it seems like the time zone that always suffers is the time zone where there's the least amount of people from the team, you know, which mm-hmm. just is, which isn't fair. If you've got mm-hmm. five people in the States and one person in APAC, if, but if there's six people in APAC and one person in the States, it's like, so how do you do it? So I, one of my next questions is, is just like, how do you build relationships, product marketing, very cross-functional role? How do you build relationships if you can't physically connect it with them? Or if there's this time zone challenge, I would love to just hear any tactics or like specific tips to you, like what does your calendar look like? Do you know, how do you have, how do you structure meetings like one-on-ones? So that's a great question. So like I said, I've been doing remote working for the past 10 years. So I've created a, a different way of working. So my Monday through Thursday, it's pretty much bets off in terms of when I'll take a call. I'll take a call as early as 5.30 a.m. And I'll take a call as late as 9, 10, very rare but I will take it. But Fridays, that's for me. Fridays is my work, you know, calendar free day 
where I can kind of take that time back for myself. And I really encourage people, especially people in global roles or in roles that are where you can create this flex for yourself to do so and empower yourself to do so. Otherwise, you're not going to last 10 years mm. in these types of roles. The, the other trade-off for that is that w- one of the biggest tenets of that that I try to take on to my team and our team meetings is we switch off. When our team first started, we actually had more people in APAC because China is one of the largest gaming export markets for games in the world. That is not still the case, but we're still doing trade-offs where every two weeks we'll meet. And then sometimes the European team will take a 6 a.m. call. And then, you know, the APAC team gets a 2 p.m. call so that they can show up as their true sparkly-eyed people during their time zone, which is nice. We don't do that for all meetings, but for some of the meetings that we can have and we have control and those meetings that are made for team bonding and team sharing, we try to split that off because you guys will also find that there are certain meetings that are very business oriented, but there's other meetings like team meetings that you're, you're putting that together to build safety and rapport with each other use those meetings to try to switch things off and, and build empathy for each other. And that would be my advice point too. Yeah, that's great. I also do the same thing where I keep Friday very clear and it 100% just gives me that time to do work and to do deep work, which is harder. I also work on a global team, not as global as, as you necessarily. We have regional leads who are all over the place, but most of our team is in East Coast or Dublin um, or Ireland. So like those two time zones aren't too bad. Mm -hmm. But I love that tip, keeping Friday clear. And then also just like, you know, flexing and making sure that you've got the different regions have some time kind of for their own. I think that's really smart. One thing about, I just wanted to dig in on the flexibility. So one thing I see, I think from folks on my team too, is that like, even though we're a big global company, we have, you know, our HQs in the States. And so the regional people in regional offices will end up just flexing towards us because they're Mm -hmm. like, well, the only time I can get people, the Mm -hmm. only time I found that's free on calendars is at 8 PM my time. Do you keep an eye out for that on your team? Like, do you try to, what do you do if people are doing that? Do you try to squash it or do you talk to them about it? Like, how do you help people stay accountable for like, you know, keeping reasonable hours? So Again, this is, I trust my team to manage their schedules and push that through. But I I, I hear what you're saying in terms of making sure people aren't being burnt out. So I encourage, like I said, the flex time. And Fridays don't work for everybody. Some, Some people still need the Fridays to meet with certain people and things like that. But then maybe take a longer lunch. Maybe, you know, start later in the day. Make the flex. I have a coworker who, who works a significant amount of time with, she lives in London, but with the West Coast. So she actually starts her day much later and ends her day. So think about the flex time that works for you. And that's actually what I encourage my team. And, and it's all about coaching the individual and not necessarily, you know, trying to give out the vaccine for everybody. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, different people have different working styles. Different people are Some people are nocturnal workers. Some people are early morning workers. It depends on what they need and what they need to drive the most efficiency for themselves. But what I try to do is make sure that they don't feel guilty about taking the time for themselves when they obviously are working a significant amount of time. Because we've set these really audacious goals for ourselves. We're moving really hard. I trust that they're working as hard as they can. So 
with that trust and their safety, I want to give them the ability to build their schedule and based upon their maximum output. And then I will trust that that output will come. If that output does not come in the performance review cycles, we have candid conversations about, you know, when we did this, but I will tell you, it's never a, a scheduling conversation that we tend to have about this stuff. It usually is like a resourcing issue or a lack of visibility over something. It's generally not a, you obviously weren't taking enough APM calls. Does that make sense? And that's, that's how I like to kind of deliver some of that stuff too. Yeah, that's good. I love your point just around like, sometimes it could be like confusing to you, or at least to me, at least, you know, it's like, that's the schedule where you find your most um, Mm -hmm. productivity or whatever, you know, that fits your lifestyle. But it's not about you, right? It's about them and respecting that and just like giving them that safety and freedom, I think is super important. Because yeah, you know, having one nine to five, like, it's kind of crazy, right? Everyone's everyone's individual. So I think finding what works for you is smart. I agree. And this is why I love the whole remote work thing, because Mm -hmm. you can actually have, you're not expected to be in the office at a certain time base anymore. It is now about working for your optimum schedule and how you can be effective. And a lot of people are, we've been programmed, right? From going to school to like all of that stuff for these certain hours to be the most optimal. So most people are that way. But what I would say is that safety that you talked about again, that's why it's so critical is to get to that point with every person on my team where I'm like, I'm not going to judge you for working these different hours. Right. I want you to be open with me about, you know, the hours, the where you're feeling stressed, what can we do? Cause that'll make you a more effective team mate to me. Cause then I'll also know how you work and how we can bring the team together. Cause then maybe we'll work different coverages a little bit differently. Maybe we'll pay, pair you more up with someone on the West coast. So it's more morning your time on the projects that you do or a product team that is more heavily based on these types of time zones. So it's being more honest about this. I think could only get to more effective ways of working, especially since we're not expected to be in certain time zones and time hours in the office. Yeah. I, I like that. And I think if anything, that's the place for managers to push a little bit maybe because it's like, Hey, if you have flexibility and your company is okay with that and I'm okay with that, like challenge yourself to think a little bit about where you get energy from or what is, you know, what is challenging for you? Do you need like, you know, it was three hours of zoom calls like too much and like you need to get outside or whatever. Like I think thinking about that and taking ownership of your schedule and what's good for you, I think is really important. Okay. Let's, Let's switch gears a little bit here. Let's talk about global marketing. So you've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. I'm always interested, you know, product marketing, we're meant to know the market really well. What happens when we're entering a region that we don't know well? What is the mm-hmm. best way to approach a, you know, company says, hey, there's this big opportunity in Japan, maybe the most extreme one, just because the company, the country is kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a very tough market. It's a very tough market. They're like, I've heard them describe it as kind of like isolationist before, right? It's like, it's harder to understand versus somewhere where they speak the same language and the culture is very similar to the States, for instance. So you're going all in in Japan, product marketing team needs to understand the region. How do you do it? What's the way to approach it? So I've seen a lot of companies do a lot of different things across this. This is tough because I think there's a lot of things that will go into this where I always started with thinking about this is how well are we resourced to enter this market is always something that I would start thinking about. And I learned this probably more from Spotify. For instance, it took us forever to launch in Japan, actually. So this is a very interesting example, but they staffed someone in that market very, very early. 
there's a lot of things that go into launching a market for Spotify. There's content deals. It's, it's a very heavy process. It's probably one of the heaviest processes I've ever seen. But they were that invested in that market because they had done the data and research to know that that return was going to be there. And they were willing to make that investment and that risk. So before even thinking about entering the market, I would say, let's do the operational numbers of how much we'd actually want to invest in this market mm-hmm. and what would the payoff should be? Uh, what, what would the payoff need to be? And can we staff it effectively for this right market? Because at the end of the day, and this depends on a lot of things, it's really hard to make an analysis, but my big thing always is not to overstretch you and your resources and pick the markets where you're going to be the most successful and the best resource to do so. Because otherwise, if you have a failing market, you can't launch twice. It's better to wait and then launch later. And the more effective your product is in other markets, the more buoyed you'll be in tougher markets. So that's probably where I would start with is like, if someone is asking me, how should I launch a market? My question always back is, should you launch in that market? You convince me on why you should launch in this market and how you're going to staff it and make it addressable and make this a reality. If you can't answer that really well, then the question is, should we actually really be launching in this market? And then if the, if the answer is all yes, then you can staff it effectively, pull in all the market research, get, you know, get the customer insights or market research there to get it done. But if you're not willing to staff it, you probably shouldn't do it. Love that. Yeah, I think um, understanding the opportunity and the ROI, how, what you're going to need to staff it, I think that having a clear point of view on that from marketing standpoint, product marketing standpoint, as to what that means, you know, having people there, whatever, and then not entering it with one foot in and one foot out, like really going in and really understanding it. I love that. I think that's great advice. So one thing I want to talk to you about is what about working with products, right? So like, is there any, you know, if, if you're working with products, any tips on building a relationship in this remote environment? I think a lot of the time it's nice to sit you know, you're still having meetings with, with the product team. But I think one nice thing about like sitting with product or being in the same office of product is you have those casual conversations mm-hmm. that maybe, that maybe influence the product roadmap or help them see the value of marketing. Any way to replicate that or create that when you're not physically with them? So I think that's, that's going to be really tough because it's the nature of time that we've talked about before. And it seems like today is, you know, even the most influential people will have less time than before because of more meetings, childcare situations and things like that. So this could be really tough. But how I think about this too is, and this also comes back to a little bit of how, how safe do you feel and how out there you're willing to go. Because if you do feel really safe and you feel like you have an influential voice, what's stopping you from putting more publications on your internal wikis. What, what's stopping you from creating other mediums across the company on your internet of areas that you can influence and drive personal points of views? Why does it all have to be meetings? So for instance, one of the, one of the people on my team who's fairly new, she saw a huge gap on one of the largest products that we're launching of the fact that we didn't have a lot of documentation around it. So she felt safe and she felt good to go, you know, write documentation and, and become an owner of a, of a pretty technical work stream that 
would build her character and influence. So I would think about for you, how, how much can you put yourself out there, not just in a face-to-face, but in other mediums to amplify the influence that you want to provide, you know, whether it's using visual storytelling means, documentation, your points of view, your research, and getting that to speak for you as well, because also that can have meetings and that can be read when you're sleeping. You can have your influence work for yourself when you're not. But it really has to come from, like I said, a place where you feel confident and you feel safe, you feel good that you can be able to do more things like this. And I would recommend figuring out areas where you can do that and that it feels authentic to you to drive more of those kind of other medium points. I love that. I think it's a great piece of advice because most companies have something like that, right? Like the Mm -hmm. wiki or there's some place that's influential where you can write something and get it, get it there. And I've, I've seen it work. It's worked for me and it's huge because also, you know, there's a lot of problems with meetings, right? Like Mm -hmm. one is the time thing, like for sure. Timing doesn't mean also like getting into the meeting. If you're more junior or if you're just not in the right team, can you even have a seat at the table? The third is that there's some people who do really well in meetings. There's some people who don't. And sometimes there's bias that enter into the, into meetings and who people pay attention to and that sort of thing. And a lot of that is removed when you're like writing. So yeah, but people will pay attention to it. And you can also unpack really, you know, challenging ideas when you're writing. So mm-hmm. I think that's great advice. I think I'm just, I mean, now I'm getting inspired. I get a, there's some stuff I've been writing for needing, meaning to write for the wiki that I need to put out there, but people pay attention to that stuff too, you oh, know, and yeah. especially like, like the founders at our company where they still read the wiki, like they, mm-hmm. they're interested, they mm-hmm. want to see what's going on. So it's good advice. Exactly. And also, I mean, you're obviously at a depth adept at podcasting. Like why couldn't you be more of an auditory medium to this, yeah. you know, Uh, We obviously use Workplace at Facebook. Videos are posted, things like that. Like think about, again, what is authentic to you and where you'd want to excel at and like brainstorm it with, you know, other people that you feel confident in or feel safe with and, you know, find that areas. But this is why, again, like it's not just about thinking about who can I meet with and how I can meet this. It's, it's a strategy of using all of the media po- medium points at your disposal and where you feel the most confident with to drive a lot of that stuff forward. Absolutely. All right. So we talked about, you know, building that safe environment with your team, but what about your boss? What about your, you know, leadership and your, and your boss? Like, is there tips for building the relationship there? Just, you know, anything maybe more tactical that you do that really helps communication and getting on the same page with them? This is, so I, this is actually something I personally struggle with to be vulnerable with you and, yeah. the, and the audience. I've had some micromanagement bosses in the past. I've been the only woman in a significant amount of some of the places I've worked at. So vulnerability for me is really tough because I always thought of it as a sign of weakness and that it will reflect that I can't do the job as well. I've been working with a really great coach. Her name is Taylor Tilly. She actually specializes with working with senior product marketing leaders. She's great on relying more on my, my managers and bosses and trying to be more vulnerable with them earlier to vet out what I can push and trust with them. And this is again, why I feel like if you create an area of safety for yourself, even with your peer set, you can hopefully then push and see what your what you can be vulnerable with your manager about and have them become more of a, a coach or a, someone to lean on if you can be more vulnerable with them. Not all managers you can be vulnerable with. 
I'll be honest with you. I've, I've had a few of those. I hope I will never be that manager, but you know, it, it, it happens. It's the nature of the world, especially the more senior you get, the more you're surrounded by people who are very ambitious and who are doing the, the most ambitious thing. So what I would say is try to be vulnerable in a way that you feel good about earlier on in the relationship and see, hopefully that can help unbreak vulnerability in that person. And if they can't be vulnerable back, you could always give them that feedback. Hey, you know, obviously we're not in this vulnerable place, but we understand. You'll understand there what the relationship should be. And then you can exercise it in that um, perspective. Does that make sense? Like the, the kind of breaking down and understanding a bit more about how far you can go in that? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good, I think it's good advice to people. You know, I think you want to get there and you want to build that relationship and you want to be honest with folks around like what you need and what will help you. And I think being vulnerable is a great way to do that. And it's super important right now. I think for, you know, it's for me too, it's, it's always been, I'm similar where it's like, you don't want to look vulnerable because it's, it feels risky, right? Like it's, oh, it's, I'm not good at my job or something here. But I think just because the pandemic and everybody's personal lives being like more a part of what we're doing. I think it's like, Hey, we're all human. And like, this Mm -hmm. is, everybody has some, you know, different things that they're dealing with. So I think that vulnerability is super important. It's a great tip. And it's also something that like you were saying earlier, like psychological safety is this HR mumbo jumbo is vulnerability. Like, no, it's, it's something everybody should think about and is super important. And unless you're unpacking it and like trying to figure it out, it's going to be hard to build a, relationship with your manager remote. So I love it. I think it's great advice. I agree. And listen, like sometimes it can be tough to do. I've been, I've been vulnerable with managers before, but it, it revealed so much more about the person too. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you see how they react and then you see how they utilize the information and then you understand what, what the relationship is. And then you feel even safer because you know now how they would react in a vulnerable environment. So it's almost like you're taking control of the agenda and the vulnerability, yeah. not that you're yeah. being vulnerable, you are being vulnerable, but like you're doing it in a, in a, in a as risk, risk-free way. But just imagine how much better you'll feel when something big is on the line and then you'll know how they'll react. You'll know how to position it and you move that forward. And so this is something I try to push with my team with me too, is just like, this is the safe space. Like yeah. you telling me these things will not, show up on a performance review. I just need to really understand what is coming up and what is, you know, the miscommunication or, you know, all of that stuff. I trust that you're trying to make the best decisions that you are trying to make. And that's how you end up with teams that can do things very independently. Otherwise you're just going to be micromanaging the crap out of people. And that's not going to be fun for anybody. No. Yeah. I think that is, that's good advice that I got at not too long ago is also that if you you really invest in your people and make sure they feel safe and know that it's like, Hey, I believe in you. I want you to succeed. I am here on your team. I'm on your side. Here's some tough feedback I have to give you. And then it's a different conversation. It's Mm -hmm. not like you're being mean or anything like that. It's just like, Hey, we have to figure this out for you to succeed here. So I think that helps too with difficult conversations. Just, you know, what I'm hearing, uh, you say there is like, you know, this, this vulnerability, this openness, I think it makes it much easier to have harder conversations and just figure things out and get on the same page, page with folks. Totally. And it's not, I mean, Google ran a two-year study with, you know, 200 interviewers, 200 interviews with Googlers. Google ran a data-driven study to try and figure out a print. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it was published in uh, in the Harvard Business Review. I'm sure they've, you know, talked about it a lot, but, you know, psychological safety was the number one thing. I mean, the rest of them were 
pretty clear, like de dependability, things like that. But I think they hit the nail. I mean, I think it's pretty accurate to have, you, you're going to need both. Because like, if you just have safety, but the team doesn't know where they're going, great. You're going to end up, like, I've seen that too. I've seen really strong teams, very safe with each other, but then they're kind of directionless in terms of what impact they're yeah. driving. And that's not necessarily, like, it's great that everybody's happy, but, right. you know, that's not necessarily a team I'd want at a startup <laughs> right. between us. But if you can manage them both, which is, I'm very big on managing them both because it, listen, I mean, to throw in a sports analogy, I've always would rather be like a six man on a, on a championship team <laughs> versus being like the best player on the team that ran was runner up. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, actually that would be pretty cool. You're anyway, it's really but... on brand. That's a basketball analogy. You're from <laughs> Indiana. Like, I know. This is, this is great. I've, I've, we've made a lot of basketball analogies on the show for better or worse, but so you're, this is wonderful. Exactly. You're in a but, safe space. <laughs> totally. Thank you for the psychological safety. I appreciate it, Marcus. But to balance both of those things, like you have to have a little bit of both. So you can't just have psychological safety, which is why I think that study actually called in five to six different team behaviors that are there, not just safety. Because if you just have safety, your team is probably not going to be coming out with the next billion dollar product. You got to have both mm -hmm. and you got to keep pushing people to both or otherwise, unfortunately, when rubber hits the road, you guys, your team might be the first one to get cut from like headcount reallocation and things like that. So I think that's another thing that we actually have to face in the reality of this pandemic situation is that the economy, like there's going to be a lot of tough decisions that are going to be made. Right. There's a lot of things that are going to be made. Like the globalization question you're asking, I think a lot of companies will be lucky to be thinking if they can expand in other markets because they'll be in, a, in, a, in one of those few industries like gaming that is doing exceptionally well right now. But this is another thing why I think it's important to have that psychological safety, but with a clear vision and goal attached with the success of the team. Because if you just create the safety are you actually creating safe spots for them? Because if your team is not performing, you guys all might get cut, right? So you as a manager also has to balance that out too. And that's something that I've been struggling with a lot during the pandemic is, you know, pushing everybody to their maximum of capability for this time and still pushing business results. And I, I honestly, I think it works out well to, to kind of balance the two because to talk about it, we basically launched one of the biggest ad products for Facebook in, the, in September. We launched it on September 1st. It's called Automated App Ads. It's a very B2B focused study, but we launched this, you know, obviously in the height of COVID, we're all working remotely and it's been incredible success. And I think balancing both of these things, like my team felt very safe, very empowered to drive an incredible amount of impact while we had a very like strong vision of what we wanted to do with this product. We've been working on it for the past two plus years. So combining both of those two things together, you can create magic. I mean, another basketball thing, like the last dance, right? <laughs> <laughs> We've talked I mean, about the last dance on the show I before know, too. This is great. I'm Keep sure. Going. But like that T like they had a big vision and then they also had like a really safe space. Like look what they allowed Dennis Rodman to do. Yeah. Look what they allowed, you know, the team to do. So I think you got to have both. You can't have just one. Otherwise you'll be in a, a place where you might have like the most fun team at the company, but not a team that the company values, which will yeah. also put you in a dangerous spot. 
It's a great point in one, we're probably talking more about psychological safety right now and not about performance, but I've seen the same thing that if you create that environment, it's just so much easier. I just, the thing that I've noticed is it's easier to have conversations that may, that otherwise would be awkward, you know, where Mm -hmm. it's like, I can come to my team. I try to create a a safe environment for my team. You know, it's always work in progress, but I think you can come to the team and push them more when they know that they're in a safe environment or they know that like they have this trust in this relationship with you. So I think then when you come and you push on something, you know, it's not an awkward conversation or it's not like a, did I do something wrong? Or if they, or if they're unclear, if they did something wrong, they can ask you, you know, and be like, okay, is this something like, is this, you know, what's going on here? Cause they feel that safety. So they're totally related. I love that. And um, for sure, just doing one is not going to, you're not going to build a successful team that way. Exactly. And I kind of, I think another great analogy came up about this is that, you know, when you see, someone for the first time on like skis or ice skates, right? Where they're very shaky. And, and then you're coming over to try and give them an advice. <laughs> mm. But you see their whole body super tense because they're not, they don't feel safe. They don't feel physically safe. Mm. If you can't relax them, they're never going to be able to take your advice and let alone ski on their own, mm. right? So you have to convince them that, that you want them to be as safe as they do. Like you don't want them to get hurt. You, you know, that you have as much invested in them, like getting down the mountain or getting across the lake as they do. So I think that's where all of that comes from is just like to, to give like a physical analogy to it is like, you're basically trying to put them in a mental space where they feel that you're as invested in their success as they are. And I think it's very true that you, once that trust happens, you can just see them fly. And, and to your point, doesn't always work out. Like I've put a lot of people in, (laughs) I call them low risk, but high reward situations. So I will put like a lot of my more junior ports of my team in like fairly high visibility projects that have some senior stakeholders involved. But like, if this project doesn't really land, it's cool kind of thing. And it's nice to see that and see how some of them blossom and some of them don't. But like sometimes too, if you feel like people are still a little shaky on their skates or their skis, put them in more of these like high reward, low risk situations and like see how they can go too. And then you'll learn more about how they can be coached, what you can put them in. You, it's better to put them in and understand in a low risk situation than then throwing them into a high risk, high risk situation as well. Super interesting point. I've never really thought about it like that, but that is why we have, that's why we've I've got the podcast here to learn. <laughs> Spark, we've taken up a bunch of your time, so I want to get you onto your next thing, but thank you so much for making some time to uh, chat. I really, really appreciate it. Marcus is great. I've had a good time today. Thank you so much. And again, if there's anything I could leave, it's really about making your team members feel safe, whether it's global or working remote and making sure you have a vision of what you guys want to try to achieve together because you don't want to become complacent. Love it. All right. We are going to work on that. Thanks for coming on the show and it's great to chat. It's alright